This is Loveful Terrace Apart, a podcast on your favorite complicated couples. In this episode, we'll dive into the love story of Gene Wilder and Gilda Radner. When Gene Wilder died in 2016, the news hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, the news affected a lot of people. Gene Wilder felt like everyone's crazy, lovable, great uncle. I mean, so many of us grew up with his films, Young Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles, Silver Streak, Stir Crazy. In the 70s and 80s, Gene Wilder was one of the hottest actors in Hollywood. So when he died, it felt like a little piece of us died. And many people on social media said Gene was finally reacquainted with his greatest love, Gilda Radner. Mm, I hate to break it to you folks, but the relationship wasn't as idyllic as you think. And Gilda was arguably not Gene's greatest love. I'm not trying to be a party pooper. I'm not Gene Wilder or Gilda Radner, so I can't speak for them. All I know is that they were both very public about their tumultuous relationship. Two years after Gilda died, Wilder married his fourth wife, Karen, and in a 1996 Telegraph article, he said, For the first time in my life, I have found unconditional love. And as Gene grew older, he talked less and less about Gilda. To prepare for this episode, I reread Gilda's autobiography, It's Always Something. And I also read Gene's autobiography, Kiss Me Like a Stranger. I hadn't read Gilda's autobiography since high school, and I was struck by how innocent and childlike the book is. Gilda was a good writer, not particularly funny, but just solid. It's always something isn't Pulitzer material, but it's a very raw and humble sharing of one woman's very short life told from her point of view. Gilda Susan Radner was born in Detroit on June 28, 1946. She was born to a well-to-do family who spent their summer months in Miami Beach. She was co-raised by a nanny, Dibby, who Gilda credits as giving her her sense of humor. The two stayed in close contact until the end of Gilda's life. Developing a ferocious eating habit at a young age, Gilda later became anorexic and then during SNL bulimic, a condition she struggled with for most of her life. Crediting therapy and Jean's help, Gilda overcame the condition three years before her cancer diagnosis in 1986. The age of 12, Gilda's businessman father, Herman, was diagnosed with brain cancer. She adored her father, and seeing him suddenly sick and old was traumatizing. He lived for two years after the diagnosis with part of his body paralyzed from brain surgery. Gilda wrote in her book, It's Always Something, I'd lie in my bed with feelings of anger and resentment. She scolded herself for being embarrassed by his public displays of fear and sadness and she didn't want her friends to see him. Gilda's father was not the only member of her immediate family to fight cancer. Her mother, brother, grandmother, aunt, and cousin did as well, with the latter three dying from the same cancer Gilda would fight. Gilda attended the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor, but dropped out to pursue acting. Her first role was a stage production of Godspell, alongside up-and-coming talent Martin Short, Eugene Levy, Andrea Martin, and Paul Schaefer. In the documentary Love, Gilda, it was revealed that Radner and Martin Short dated for a short period of time. To paraphrase Martin Short, and I'm not even going to attempt to do a Martin Short impression, he said, 
She had family money, every man wanted to date her, every woman wanted to be her friend, but she was prone to depression and I wasn't mature enough to understand that. We'd break up, get back together, break up. From there on, she went to Second City in Toronto and National Lampoon Radio Hour, where she met future SNL co-stars Bill Murray, Chevy Chase, and Job Belushi. By 1975, comedy writer Lorne Michaels had rounded up some of the best comedians on the circuit to star in his new late-night show, NBC's Saturday Night Live. Also revealed in the documentary Love Gilda, Gilda dated Brian Doyle Murray and then Bill Murray during this time. However, Bill Murray had a long-distance, long-term girlfriend, which doomed their relationship from the start. She was known to have said she couldn't watch the movie Ghostbusters because she dated almost everyone in the film except for Rick Moranis, which is really too bad because I would have totally dated Rick Moranis. As you can see, being in love was very important to Gilda, which is something we'll get into shortly. Starring on SNL changed everything for Gilda. With characters such as Roseanne, Rosanna Dana, Emily Latella, and Lisa Lupner, Gilda was now recognized on the street. Four years into the series, she created Gilda Live, a seven-week, one-woman stage show featuring her characters from SNL. The New York Times called the show disappointing, but Gilda deeply loved it, and it's often mentioned as one of her career highlights. Being famous but single was problematic for Gilda. She worried that men were only interested in her because she was famous, and she wrote in her diary around that time, the one man I want is gone, my father. In 1982, feeling the itch to settle down, she married G.E. Smith, the future musical director of SNL. It's around this time that Gilda met Jean, but before we jump into their love story, a little background on curly-haired Jerome Silberman, otherwise known as Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder was born in Milwaukee on June 11, 1933, one day before my birthday. His upbringing was fairly normal, except that his mother was chronically ill. He writes in his memoir, Kiss Me Like a Stranger, that his mother's doctor told him to try and make her laugh. He credits this as the beginning of his life as an entertainer. Big surprise, in his youth, Gene was very neurotic. He developed an obsession with praying in the most inconvenient times. He was also obsessed with women, but afraid to act on his lust. He blames his sickly mother for giving him this neurosis. His formative years consisted of military school, then summer stock, and then training at the Old Vic Theater in London. Gene was drafted into the U.S. Army in 1956 and was stationed at a hospital in New York. It was during this time that his mother died, which he writes with no particular nostalgia in his autobiography. Soon he was taking acting classes in New York and landed himself a coveted spot at the Actors Studio during Lee Strasberg's helm. It was there, around 1960, that Gene met his first wife, Mary. Gene didn't have a lot of great things to say about Mary. He said in Kiss Me Like a Stranger, quote, Mary was beautiful, in classic terms. I don't mean sexy. I wasn't at all physically attracted to her. Okay, side note. In our post-woke time, I was kind of distressed to read that Gene mostly described his girlfriends and wives by their looks, and those descriptions weren't always flattering. Gene was born in 1933, so I'd like to chalk it up to him being a product of his times. But as I'm reminded, after I read his book, sometimes it's better to leave your heroes alone. Mary and Gene had a loveless marriage. He says the only reason why he married her is because she essentially dared him. He said, 
wasn't a romantic honeymoon. It never was romantic from that time on. He bemoans her lack of affection and lack of sex. He gets his rocks off by sleeping with a, quote, flat-chested dancer neighbor who, quote, looked like a wrestler. Let me say that my goal isn't to make you hate Gene Wilder. I love the dude. He just wasn't very good when it came to the opposite sex. He divorces Mary in 1965 because his, he tells his shrink, quote, she doesn't cook or clean or take meat out of the freezer or make love. Wife number two, Mary Jo, Jean speaks more highly of. The two knew each other as kids and reunited later on. Mary Jo was newly divorced with a five-year-old daughter named Katie. Jean instantly fell in love with both Mary Jo and Katie and decided he wanted to play husband and dad. In 1967, the two got married, and Gene adopted Katie, whom he viewed as his daughter for the rest of his life, though they would later have a falling out. At this point, Gene's career takes off. His first movie was the 1967 classic Bonnie and Clyde, where he had a small but scene-stealing role. Then he filmed Mel Brooks's The Producers, and everything changed. Gene was now becoming a bona fide Hollywood star. Gene adored Mary Jo, but... Katie's eating disorder and emotional issues put a strain on their partnership. He admitted to not knowing how to discipline Katie because he was afraid she'd stop loving him. It was during the filming of Young Frankenstein that Gene realized he didn't want to go home. It was also possible that he was having an affair with co-star Terry Garr at this time because he quickly begins dating her after he separates from Mary Jo, but neither have confirmed that to be true. Interesting note, Mary Jo and Katie thought Gene was having an affair with his other co-star, Madeline Kahn, which Wilder was quick to deny in his book. Not to get all salacious here, but yeah, I kind of want to get salacious here. Gene and Terry had pretty good chemistry on screen, you know what I mean? It's hard to watch both of them in Young Frankenstein and not think something was up. Years later, in a 2017 Australia TV interview, Terry Garr would refer to Wilder as a, quote, total jerk with, quote, no redeeming features. Though Terry called Gene a jerk, Gene had only nice things to say about her in his book. He said, She was not only beautiful on screen, she was beautiful off screen, always full of life, humor, and sensitivity. It was a sweet comfort to be with such a pure and gentle woman who could laugh and love and remain unspoiled by the smog of show business that hung over LA. Jane also said that telling Mary Jo that he wanted divorce was the cruelest thing that he had ever done, and he felt like he was sticking a knife in her, and she never saw the divorce coming. After Young Frankenstein, which Wilder earned a Best Adapted Screenplay nomination for, the man became a hot commodity. Between the years of 1974 and 1980, Wilder starred in some of his most iconic films, including Silver Streak and Stir Crazy. It's on the set of the 1982 film Hanky Pinky that Gene and Gilda first meet. Gilda describes their meeting like a schoolgirl. She said, I had been a fan of Gene Wilder's for many years, but the first time I saw him in person, my heart fluttered. It felt like my life went from black and white to technicolor. As for Gene, he said, Remembering our first meeting was something like a he said, she said. Gilda said that I rubbed my crotch against her knee when I asked her if I could bring her some tea or coffee. When she told me this crazy story, I said, you're nuts. And she said, no, they were your nuts. Well, it was a beginning. Gilda was married to GE at this time and very unhappy, but that didn't stop her from putting the moves on Jean. Two weeks into shooting, after dinner, Gilda followed Jean to his hotel room and pinned him to the bed. They did not consummate their relationship that night, but soon would. 
Gilda writes of their early courtship with such desperation it almost makes you cringe. She wrote, quote, I want to be M-A-R-R-I-E-D to Jean. Jean was a sports nut, so she started taking tennis lessons and she started watching sports just to impress him. She said in her book, I had been a workaholic. I had taken one job after another for over 10 years. But just looking at Jean made me want to stop, made me want to cook, made me want to start to garden, to have a family and settle down. This all sounds very fast. That's because it was. Jean, on the other hand, writes about how incredibly needy Gilda was during that time, but still charming and spellbinding. He said, After a while, she became desperate to be with me all the time. I was never bored during the next two months. Exhausted several times, but never bored. As much as I loved being with her, I wanted to breathe again without having to worry about her. So Jean broke up with her. Gilda was devastated. It was during that break that she got her beloved Yorkshire Terrier, Sparkle. After a while, Jean realized he really missed Gilda, and the two rekindled their romance. They starred in their second film together, The Woman in Red. Jean was still on the fence about Gilda, but when Sparkle accidentally ate rat poison at the airport and Gilda handled the situation with a maturity Jean had never seen before, he knew he wanted to be with her for the long haul. They were married in the south of France in September of 1984. At their modest wedding, Gilda wore a long blue skirt, a blazer, and a straw hat. Jean wore a sports coat and khakis. Gilda had sparkle in her hands during the ceremony. At 38 years old, Gilda desperately wanted a child. Jean was ambivalent. He was happy enough with Katie, but he wanted to make Gilda happy. She wrote in her book, For almost a year before my marriage, I had stopped using any form of birth control. I figured my pregnancy was another surefire way to get Jean, but pregnancy hadn't come. They tried IVF, which didn't work, so Gilda had major surgery to open her tubes. While filming Haunted Honeymoon, Gilda got pregnant, but sadly miscarried a week later. She bled for two weeks, and though she was sad, she now knew that she could get pregnant. But during this time, Gilda felt lousy. Her energy levels were low, and she often felt like she was developing the flu. This persisted for months, until one day she could barely stay awake. It was as if a fog had overtaken her brain. She knew she had to see a doctor. Her internist gave her a full physical, including blood work and tests. As a neurotic herself, she was afraid she had cancer, but she was always met with the same answer, that she was totally fine. Her doctor said it was probably just depression or anxiety but the symptoms grew worse. Sometimes she found it difficult to get out of bed. She had horrible pelvic cramping and leg pains, and then her stomach grew. She was extraordinarily bloated. All during this time, Gilda saw doctor after doctor, and nothing showed up on her tests. took over 10 months for Gilda to finally be diagnosed with stage 4 ovarian cancer. Jean and Gilda would be married for only five years before she would pass away from the cancer. During that time, Jean was devoted to Gilda, even though they both admitted that it was an incredibly challenging time. Gilda was in and out of treatment and on steroids, which often made her angry. She was also really, really scared. Intimacy was non-existent, something both of them write about with great sadness. They sometimes had arguments because of the large amount of stress put on both of them. Halfway through her cancer journey, Gilda became involved with the wellness community, a support group for cancer survivors. This experience led Jean and Gilda's therapist, Joanna Bull, 
to later create Gilda's Club, a national community organization that helps people with cancer. Gilda did everything she could to bring happiness and inspiration to her life, including writing her autobiography. But sadly, she would die shortly after completing the book. Her cancer journey was marked with short stints of remission, but by May of 1989, she went into a coma and died at the age of 43 with Jean by her side. Jean buried her in a cemetery near their home in Connecticut. In his autobiography, he writes of going to visit her at the cemetery several times a week to say hello and let Sparkle pee on her grave. He writes of never believing she would actually die and how his ignorance helped them both stay somewhat positive during her cancer. Gilda left her Connecticut home to him and Jean would become an activist in gene testing. Ovarian cancer ran in Gilda's family and he believed her chances of survival would have been better if the doctors had tested her. He co-founded the Gilda Radner Ovarian Cancer Detection Center in Los Angeles where people with family history of cancer can be tested. Before Gilda died, Jean met Karen Webb, clinical supervisor of the New York League of Hard of Hearing. Jean had been working on the film See No Evil, Hear No Evil with Richard Pryor. Jean played a deaf man and the organization wanted to consult on the project. Jean immediately fell in love with Karen. Maybe he writes so glowingly about her because she'd become his fourth and last wife, but Jean is just smitten with her. The two shared a passionate kiss over a business dinner one night, but left it at that. After Gilda passed, the two met again for business purposes and quickly realized they were meant to be. Jean was concerned the tabloids would disparage him for moving on too quickly, but less than two years after Gilda died, he and Karen got married in 1991, and they stayed together until his death in 2016. Jean would say in an interview around that time, It's been almost a year since Gilda died, but everyone on the street and supermarkets and cabs still asks me about Gilda and my life with her. They keep saying, Poor Jean, we love you both. I'm not poor Jean. I'm lucky, Jean, to have found someone at this stage in my life. Over the years, he slowly stopped acting. He preferred to spend time with his wife, and he loved painting and writing as well. Jean died at the age of 83 from complications of Alzheimer's. I don't know for sure how Jean and Gilda felt about one another. All I have is their words and their actions. Jean's words about Gilda, or lack thereof, don't really do justice to his actions. He stood by her during the most challenging time in her life and probably one of the most challenging times in his life. Would they have stayed together forever if she hadn't gotten sick and died? Who knows? That's not for me to guess. The point of this podcast was to share that their relationship was more complicated than we think, as most relationships are. It's easy to want every relationship to be a fairy tale, but the reality is they're more complex than that. It's obvious that Gilda adored Jean, and Jean wanted to stand by Gilda. Karen is possibly the greatest love of Jean's life, but that doesn't mean that Gilda didn't matter. Gilda had a profound effect on him because she was a profound woman. It's tragic that the world didn't get her longer. Same goes for Jean. But fortunately for us, they're immortalized forever in their film and TV projects. Before we go, I just want to end on something Jean said about Gilda in his book. He said, Gilda was certainly the most extraordinary woman I had ever met. Not the prettiest, not the sexiest, not the most considerate, but the most generous and compassionate and original person I had ever known. She was a firefly who glowed in the dark and in the light.